Live from the Finley Toyota ESPN Studios, it's the Press Box Summer Edition. Come on, football, go, go! Come on, play football! Tyler Bischoff. Wow, you work here? Best seat in the house. Yeah, you do! (laughs) (laughs) I've been laughing for too long. And Adam Candy. Doesn't this seem like cheating? She's rich. She's cheating at life. On ESPN Las Vegas. No Ed Graney today. Adam Candy, legal sports report, is in instead. Uh, Adam, I need to know, how much Giants-Patriots preseason football did you watch yesterday? Uh, For various reasons, a grand total of zero, but I was following it closely on social media. So you didn't watch it, but you were, like, disappointed you weren't watching it? I don't know about that. I don't know exactly how much Bailey Zappi I need to see to know if the Giants defense is any good. Okay, just curious, because I watched zero preseason football yesterday. I actually forgot there was preseason football yesterday until it came on. So, hooray for preseason football. We get more of it this weekend. Uh, But... We're starting today with the Golden Knights and what has suddenly become a grim outlook on this season. The First Bite. Will the Golden Knights make the playoffs this season? Yesterday, the Golden Knights announced that Robin Leonard will miss the entire season after undergoing hip surgery. Um, That was August 11th. The Golden Knights have not played a hockey game in uh, multiple months. So it took them a long time to get to the point where, oh, Robin Leonard needs uh, hip surgery, and he's going to be done for the entire season. So if we look sort of big picture at the actual team here and what's going to happen in the 2022-2023 season, how hopeful should the Golden Knights be, not to be cup contenders, but to simply make it back to the playoffs? I actually don't think there's any reason for them to believe they're not going to make the playoffs. If it's possible to say I'm underreacting to this, I'm really underreacting to Robin Leonard not being there. This team has shown that you can't rely on Robin Leonard being there, right? Like They never got to the point where they were able to do that with any regularity. Uh, The best season that they got out of Robin Leonard was when he first arrived. So I'm not overreacting to the loss of Robin Leonard for this reason also. Goaltending is by far the most random element of any NHL team year in and year out. Guys who were great last year can turn out to be terrible this year. It happens every single season in the NHL. And you can look at a team like the St. Louis Blues and say, well, they didn't know Jordan Bennington was any good before they were a last place team in the middle of the season five years ago. And all of a sudden Jordan Bennington came in and ran them all the way to the Stanley cup. Cause he got hot. So how good do you think Logan Thompson has to be then for them to make the playoffs? Like, can they make the playoffs if they have just dead average 15th best, 16th best goaltending in the NHL? Or does Logan Thompson need to have a good season where hey, he's one of the, you know, 9, 10 best goalies in the NHL. Well, what was Logan Thompson's save percentage, albeit in a small sample size last year? 9-14. The Colorado Avalanche, with a team save percentage of 9-12, won the Stanley Cup. Uh, Andre Vasilevsky 
won the previous two years, the save percentages as a team were 908 and 910. Now, of course, that's factoring in backup goaltending. Uh, so, look, Laurent Brossois was not going to set any records for this team, nor uh, was Robin Leonard. So I'm not concerned that Logan Thompson comes in in a situation where you're asking him to continue what was very good performance last year. Yes, it is weird to have a Stanley Cup-level team elsewhere and say, now we want this kid who's essentially a rookie, maybe a second-year player, to come in and get them the rest of the way. But keep in mind, if you're a Golden Knights fan, the first half of the season where they went to the Stanley Cup final, Marc-Andre Fleury wasn't around while he was dealing with concussion issues. Oscar Dansk was getting starts for that team. So I do think there's a path for the Golden Knights without Robin Leonard there. Yeah, so the interesting part to me is what does the front office do here? Because you, depending on how they exactly work the long-term IR, they effectively are going to have some more cap space because Robin Leonard can be placed on long-term IR. And I'm curious if George McPhee and Kelly McCrimmon if they're willing to trust Logan Thompson going into this season as their number one goalie, are they willing to put their trust in that guy and spend the little bit of extra cap space they have somewhere else to make the rest of the team better? We've talked about sort of the forward depth throughout the week. You know, Nick Waugh is like the best non-top six guy. And then after that, if you run into two injuries, you're talking about like a Will Carrier or a Nolan Patrick having to play in that top six, they don't have as much forward depth. Do they spend a $3 million, $4 million extra on another forward that can help them out? Or does the front office look around and say, well, we didn't go to the playoffs last year. We fired the head coach. If we don't make the playoffs again, we might be out of a job. It might be us that goes finally. And if they look around and think that, I wonder if that would lead them to trying to acquire another goalie would that lead them to try to spend money uh on a goalie would that lead them to try to trade for a goalie send away an asset or something like that for a goalie that has you know more than the 17 career starts that logan thompson has that's the part i'm curious about because i i i'm with you on the whole you know logan thompson i'd be perfectly fine giving him the shot at this because like you said with goaltending being random if I were an NHL GM, I'd treat the goalies a lot more like the NFL treats running backs than the way the NHL actually treats goalies right now. So I'd be perfectly fine running Logan Thompson, his less than a million dollar salary out there and being like, this is it. This is our guy. And if he's, listen, if he's awful, then yeah, our season's not going to be very good. But if he's average or better, we're probably going to be fine. I'd be okay with that. I just don't know if McCrimmon and McPhee, who legitimately could get fired if Logan Thompson is awful. I don't know if they're comfortable doing that. They could get fired, but I don't think Bill Foley is making that move midseason. That seems to me to be the kind of decision that would be made following the year. If you let go of your front office in the middle of the season, you're essentially throwing up the white flag. And I don't think you're going to find the Golden Knights in a situation that's a white flag situation all year long. If they have that cap space that you just mentioned, and by the way, is anyone in the league more excited than McPhee and McCrimmon <laughs> to see long-term IR space light up? Like, that's as excited as you and I get for a Cafe Rio meal. Like, this is something that they are probably super excited about now, obviously, tongue-in-cheek on that. But they can't spend the money on a goaltender right now. You just cannot. 
For a team that potentially could have so many needs along the way, there's no way you can give this money to a position that does not give you any guarantee that if you spend money on it, that it's going to come back. There's no guarantee of getting a good return on investment with a goaltender. And who are you going to go get right now? There's really nobody out there on the free agent market that moves the needle. And then you're talking about potentially trading away assets, assets that frankly you might need during the season. So if you're in a situation the Golden Knights are in right now, you're much better off giving Logan Thompson 20, 30, 40 games and then getting to the trade deadline and saying, okay, now who's an impending free agent? Now which teams are potentially needing to move somebody? And more importantly, wait until a time when everyone does not have you over the barrel. Because right now, every GM in the league who already does not like Vegas looks at them and says, how desperate are you and what are you going to give me? So you started the show off today underreacting. I'm curious if this is an overreaction just to ask the question. Does Robin Leonard play again for the Golden Knights? That's not an overreaction at all. Uh, because what we haven't gotten into yet, Tyler, is it's August 11th that we found out that Robin Leonard needs season-ending hip surgery. We haven't heard why. We haven't heard how. We knew that he was having shoulder surgery. But how are we a full three months into the offseason and finding this out now? This seems very odd. Maybe we'll get more information from the Golden Knights about an injury. <laughs> Just kidding. Um, but the timing on this does not suggest something that would be friendly to the team, right? Uh, most of these things get taken care of immediately after the season. So it's a little bit odd to me that we're dealing with this right now. Yeah, we knew in season the shoulder injury and a knee injury. And we knew that he was fighting through two different things. There was some conflicting reports from Frank Saravalli and Robin Leonard himself about how significant those injuries were throughout the season. But we knew about shoulder and we knew about knee. And we knew shoulder surgery was happening right after the season. That's why Leonard wanted to shut it down with whatever that was, four games left in the season. As far as I remember, we did not know about the hip. I do not recall anybody talking about the hip. And... I said this yesterday, I guess there's a chance there was a Chris Sale type incident where Robin Leonard got hurt doing something in the offseason, and that's what led to it on August 11th, being hip surgery and out for the season. I don't think I believe that. I don't think that's the most likely scenario. I think there's a legitimate chance Robin Leonard had a hip injury at the end of last season, and for whatever reason, it took until August 11th for the team or the player or both to figure out or decide that he was going to have hip surgery. So there's there's certainly a lot of questions to be asked. I don't know how many would actually be answered by the team about what the hell's gone on in the last like three months. Why did this season end in May and we're sitting around on August 11th just now finding out? Maybe it wouldn't matter because he's out for the year anyways. Maybe he still wouldn't have ended up playing if he had had the surgery right away on you know May 20th or something like that. But it's still a very strange scenario to have a key member of the team, somebody that would have been very important to this upcoming season, and you have season-ending surgery multiple months after the season ended. And keep in mind, if you've been out enjoying your summer and not thinking about these things day-to-day -day like we do, uh, it was not pretty between the team and the front office, I uh, should say, and uh, Robin Leonard at the end of last season. 
right? Uh, you had Robin Leonard essentially announcing he's out for the year, and then <laughs> Pete DeBoer saying, I expect to see him on the bench. <laughs> so we have a situation already where there's a lack of trust between the player and the team, and I would have to believe that only is stronger now. Yeah, so, and to go back to the question, does he play for Vegas again? He's got three more years left on his contract. It's a long time. Obviously, he's going to miss the first of those last three years. So he's going to come back. There's still going to be two years left on that contract. I, I, You'd have to tell me, I guess, how Logan Thompson does going into this year or what other goalies the Golden Knights acquire. But there's a legitimate chance that, hey, Thompson is good and Thompson doesn't cost $5 million and that's the goalie of the future and they try to move Robin Leonard. And there's also the chance, like you just alluded to, Robin Leonard might not want to play for Vegas anymore. Like Robin Leonard might be done with this organization. That's certainly a possibility, too. So I'm fast forward a year from now, and I'm curious what the conversation is around Robin Leonard and if he's a Golden Knight or not, because I think there's a legitimate chance that he's not and that he has actually played his last game as a Vegas Golden Knight. All right, coming up next. We'll jump into the NBA because Kyrie Irving is coming for our jobs. Back to the Press Box Summer Edition. Adam Candy in today for Ed Graney as Ed will be out at Raiders practice today. Listening to Josh McDaniels probably say a bunch of nothing and seeing if Darren Waller ever shows up to practice. But in the meantime... This could this could be our last show because Kyrie Irving's going to take over here. Uh, yesterday, Kyrie Irving tweeted this. When you're ready to break free from media's control over your subconscious thoughts and emotions, meet me on one of my platforms and let's chop it up. We at the A11 Tribe love our conversations about the truth and what is truly happening. Welcome to the Paradigm Shift. Um, Adam, did Kyrie Irving just say, hey, if you don't like the media, come to my media platform instead? How dare you? How dare you drag a man who is trying to change the world? I can't believe it. Kyrie takes his shot at being some... I'm sorry, is that the wrong language? Uh, Kyrie takes a (laughs) shot... No. Kyrie decides to be the media and get rid of people like you, and all of a sudden, you got a problem with it. How dare you? <laughs> it is, uh, it's pretty good. So I'm a little confused, though, by his tweet. He um, did, There's no link on there, so there's nothing to click on. Is his media company going to be called Paradigm Shift? Or... Of course there's no link. Can't just be anybody. If you're if you're the person who's supposed to be going over and talking flat earth and anti-vax for reasons I will never share with you, then you need to know who the person is to get the link from. You need to know that you need to go down to Brooklyn, go to Barclays Center, walk three blocks north, five blocks east, knock on the door, then knock on the sewer grate, then knock on the door again, and someone will hand you the password on a slip of paper. <laughs> The password to what? I still don't have a link. The password to get the link. <laughs> Where do I put the password in, it, Adam? You are so not ready for the paradigm I'm shift. I'm not. I'm not ready for the paradigm shift. Okay, here's my question about Kyrie. Do you believe he's like believes himself when he says, "Oh, the media is controlling your subconscious thoughts. Please come to my media platform." 
Or do you think he knows that he's full of himself when he sends out something like that? I really do think he's completely bought into the character. Like, to a point where I'm not sure he knows where it starts and ends. Oh, no. Uh, I don't think this is a a, a very long con kind of troll. Like, Kyrie has been saying things like this for years. Years upon years where he has been immersed in a world that is only of himself and so i don't know that he knows how to crawl out of that long enough to put up a big neon sign that says hey by the way i want you to come be with me over here because like you said there's not even a link or more information there's nothing else that goes with it and what what channels are we going is there a discord like where are we going to come chop it up is there an open mic night like, I don't understand. Discord seems too mainstream, doesn't it? He's got to come up with his own. It's, it's got to be his own platform. He can't trust Discord. <sighs> yeah, that's actually a great point. Um, <laughs> he's going to have to make his own, isn't he? It's, it's going gonna, it's gonna to be like, uh, uh, like what, the former politician who started his own uh, platform because he got banned from the other one. Yeah, it's going to be yeah. like that. Yeah, that's uh, that's how you do it here. It's basically the same person at this point. I do very much enjoy because this is now the, the second basketball player, NBA player in this summer that has done the whole, hey, I'm going to do my own media. And the primary point of my own media is going to be to complain about the media while doing the exact same thing that the media is doing. Because Draymond Green did that with his podcast. That's one of the main points of his podcast is to complain about how he's covered and how people talk about him. While at the same time, he goes and just like does the take shots at Kendrick Perkins and stuff like that, which is exactly what he complains about people doing in the actual media. And now Kyrie Irving's going to maybe do that. I don't know. I, I don't actually believe this is going to exist. Like, I think this is more of a promise that doesn't actually happen. The Draymond Green thing is, is different, though. Draymond Green is connected to the same reality that you and I are. <laughs> you might not like what Draymond has to say, but Draymond is operating from a place that you and I understand. It is grounded on terra firma and also terra circular. So I don't know how else to make Kyrie's world fit into that. But with Draymond, I get it. Yes, you want your own unfiltered way of going to talk about anything you want to talk about. Not as though the cameras didn't follow Draymond Green everywhere to start with, but you want to have your own that you can monetize for yourself, more power to you, right? And you can complain about how the media covers you and yet still participate with how the media does its job. Not like Kyrie, who during the whole I'm anti-vax for reasons I will never share with you situation, <laughs> talked about how he, he doesn't deal with pawns. That's who he's talking about when he talks about the media. He talks about pawns. And no, to use the most popular way of describing this now, I'm not emotional. I'm not in my feelings. I don't care if Kyrie Irving exists any more than Kyrie Irving cares if I exist. It's just kind of silly that we're doing this. Do do you believe it'll exist, though? Do you believe there will be a Kyrie Irving website? app message board i don't know exactly what it'll be do you think this will actually exist there will be a paradigm shift where people can log on and chop it up with kyrie irving i want to believe there will be only because i want to figure out how to get an invite and just (laughs) hang out just watch just see what we're talking about and see how we're changing the world because it feels to me like 
it would be much less of a paradigm shift than Kyrie really wants to believe, right? Like it would be a sort of thing where Kyrie's throwing out conspiracy theories and all of the conspiracy theorists who came to join him are like, yeah, dude, we've been talking about that for 10 years. Like that's that's nothing new. You don't shift any paradigms here. Yeah, we get it. 9-11 was an inside job, right? Yeah, okay, sure, cool. All right. One of Kyrie Irving's uh, still current teammates, uh, teammates is Kevin Durant, and we have had a lot of reporting coming from the Kevin Durant side of his problems with the Nets over the last week or so. Most recently, the New York Post had stories about Kevin Durant wanting to play in Boston or Philadelphia, wanting to team up with uh, Joel Embiid and James Harden or Jaylen, uh, J- Jason Tatum and Marcus Smart. Um does Kevin Durant have any leverage? Like, does it really matter where Kevin Durant wants to play? Because I, that's the part that I found interesting is that, yeah, Kevin Durant might want to go play with Philadelphia, but if the Nets aren't in love with Tyrese Maxey, he's not going to end up playing in Philadelphia no matter how much he wants it. But Tyler, doesn't this all in the end go back to, does Brooklyn really want to trade him? Because in the end, if you decide you're trading Kevin Durant, as the Brooklyn Nets, that's the point at which you decide you are not getting fair return. It's not going to happen. I don't even care if they get the Jalen Brown, Marcus Smart, Robert Williams package. It's still not fair return. None of those players are what Kevin Durant healthy will give you for the next couple of years. Uh, But that said, no, Kevin Durant doesn't have full control over his destination unless like you and I talked about earlier this week he's truly willing to sit out for a year and he makes that clear when they tell him where they're planning on trading him they're like hey you know where real estate is much cheaper than Brooklyn Sacramento (laughs) that's been like part of me would love to see that if some I mean the Kings, or just somebody along those lines. Oh, the if Thunder. That's where Brooklyn tra- oh, if Brooklyn Come traded on, them, there, bring them they, home. They got enough picks too. They could give them. They could give the Nets picks for years. Like it would be hilarious to see Kevin Durant traded to a team that is just just awful and has been awful for multiple years. And the Kings, in particular, given that they what haven't been in the postseason. Are we are we getting to two decades? Getting close to two decades? Something like that. Like it'd be hilarious and. It does go back to will Kevin Durant show up and play or will Kevin Durant sit out? Because if he's again, the part of the problem for Durant is he's got four years left on his deal. It's not a player who's got one year left and you could reasonably see, oh, he he might not play this season and we should probably trade him. It's four years. And it's would he do it for a year? Possibly. Would he do it for three? Probably not. Would he do it for four? I can't imagine that. And so what would happen if Sacramento decided, yeah, we'll trade for him. We'll have Kevin Durant's rights for four years and see what happens for us. Well, I think the question then becomes, what's the motivation, right? Like, what is Kevin Durant's motivation? Because this is a guy who has made $300 million already in his career, right? That's just salary. That's not even talking about endorsements. Like, the man has gotten paid. So it's not really a matter at this point of looking and saying, well, does does he care about the money? I think the question really becomes he's 34 years old. He's won two rings. What's his motivation? What, what does he still want? Unless he just wants to go out and prove, yeah, I really was the greatest player of this generation. I'm better than LeBron, which I don't think is a crazy case to make if he goes out there and pulls a Kawhi and leads someone to a championship. God, if, he, if he took Sacramento to a title, he might have a claim to that. 
that'd be one of the greatest accomplishments in sports. Well, let, me, right. let me just before you before we yeah. throw this, quick question for you: Shea Gilgis Alexander, Chet Holmgren, Josh Giddy, and three firsts. If you're the Nets, you're really, really betting on upside and potential, like way more than the Tyrese Maxey deal, and definitely more than the Jalen Brown deal. I'm and just throwing it out there. I, I guess conceivably, if they love those players and the upside, maybe. But you're but you're really looking at hey, we can be good now, and if everything works out, really good two years from now, and have some future assets. Like they could end up being good for the Nets, but you'd have to really believe in some young players that the Oklahoma City Thunder have drafted. But it'd be fun. All right, coming up next, Ben Brown joins the show. All of the sun, none of the fun, on the Press Box Summer Edition. Joining us now from Pro Football Focus is Ben Brown. Good morning, Ben. How are you today? I'm, I'm doing well, Tyler. I'm doing well. How are you guys doing? We, we are good. Important question. How much preseason football did you watch last night, and did you actually bet on anything last night? Watched the majority of it. I do need to go back and watch uh, a little bit more of the Tennessee Titans game, especially the first half. I am planning on doing that at some point today. Uh, definitely bet on it. I do think oh, that um, have to. The, the <laughs> preseason week one, I think, is one of the best and easiest betting opportunities you can come across from my perspective. So definitely take an advantage. Okay, hold on. Why, why do you say that? Why is preseason week one the easiest to bet on? I think there's just um, it's such an information market, and there is you know so much coming out as far as who's who's playing, who's not playing, how coaches handle uh, you know preseason situations like we saw last night. You know the Baltimore Ravens, John Harbaugh takes kind of this outlier approach to preseason that's reflected in you know their performance uh, against the spread and in winning preseason matchups. And I do think actually taking that all into account uh, is something that the books aren't really doing all that well, and they're not probably staying on top of information. Uh, as well or as quickly as they should have. So I do think that uh, there are some spots that are lagging behind that make it uh, pretty easy, I would say, uh, to get some quality bets out from my perspective. So, Ben, what information are you looking for in particular? I mean, I know you can generally look and see from press conferences, okay, the starters are going to play X amount of time, but that doesn't always play out. Like, Josh Jacobs wasn't expected to go for, you know, damn near a full quarter for the Raiders, and then here he was. Yep, yeah, definitely. I do think that, uh, you know, the, the, the positions matter so much, right? Like we knew, uh, at, uh, you know, late, I would say, you know, or, I guess early this week that Daniel Jones was going to get some run. Wasn't necessarily going to have all his receivers, but he was definitely going to play some. And I do think that him being in the lineup in the first quarter uh, pushes out uh, the quality of play at the quarterback position for the Giants for the entirety of the game in some ways, right? Because if we get that starter, that first in the first quarter, then the second stringer is coming in uh, in the second quarter and playing against third string guys. And I do think that that kind of just continues to domino on throughout the rest of the game. So uh, you could get the Giants at plus one and a half. Uh, I think it took, you know, almost a full day from when Brian DeBull came out and said that, uh, you know, Daniel Jones was going to be playing a little bit uh, for that spread to actually move and get to, uh, you know, the Giants being favored and then moving all the way out to three by the time game time happened. But you had a lot of opportunities to, take advantage of that particular information before it was actually baked correctly into the market. And then we saw, you know, the line closed at minus three uh, and that, you know, then they didn't fit and they didn't cover that final number, but they basically covered every number up onto that point. So I think there is, you know, still some, if you are 
still projecting out who's going to play. Um, maybe you're not going to get every single situation right, but I do think if you take the mentality of the coach along with the expectation of the quarterback and who's going to play and how long he's going to play, uh, you can be fairly right and fairly confident in these projections coming into week one. So is there anything coming up this weekend that is in a similar way as the Giants? Anything you like already that you liked with the Giants? I do think the 49ers tonight makes a lot of sense. We are going to see Trey Lance, I would say, for at least one quarter. Now he's not going to have you know his, his entirety of offensive weapons in place. But I do think that the 49ers, in, in trying to evaluate what they're doing at the quarterback position, you know, all these other uh, you know, outside factors that are obviously at some point still impacting their decision-making, we are going to see Trey Lance probably longer than what uh, you know, most people are even projecting right now. So him going up against Jordan Love is a spot that I absolutely like. I think you can get them at you know minus one and a half first half. Uh, definitely like that bet. I do think minus two and a half full game as well makes a lot of sense before you kind of get to that key number three. Um, so that's a spot that I like. Uh, they're you know the the Cardinals Bengals game uh, is going to be ugly tonight. Not going to see any any bit of Kyler Murray. Not going to see Joe Burrow. Not going to see basically anybody from the first string unit on either one of those teams, except for maybe some defensive players. Uh, the total has dropped, uh, you know, initially from the open, but I do still think there is some room for that game to go under as well. So under 31 and a half in that particular game tonight, I think also makes a lot of sense if you're betting on any of these preseason games. Ben, as we have a lot of people out there right now who are getting ready for season-long fantasy drafts, I kind of want to use something that you guys have at PFF to ask you a question about uh, using the betting market information to inform how people look at uh, their fantasy. And, of course, you guys have fantasy tools as well. But right now, uh, Eric Eager has an article up talking about season-long props that he likes. For example, uh, Cam Akers under 8 195 and a half rushing yards how can people look at how the market is viewing certain players and have that inform how they go after their fantasy drafts yeah definitely i do think you know uh in looking at season-long projections for fantasy players uh the most accurate information you're going to get is from these season-long player props right i do think that uh you know consensus rankings everything else kind of trends in the direction of where the betting market has these players projected so i do think that evaluating that Comparing, you know, maybe your own personal projections, maybe it's a site like PFF or somebody else, to those player props and actually getting a reasonable expectation for how well that player performs is crucial, especially at the top of draft picks. And I do think, you know, like you mentioned, cam makers, uh, a lot of things working against them. Another one that I want to point out from Eric Eager's Eric article, Delvin Cook, who's probably, you know, first-round draft pick in a lot of fantasy drafts. We have him going under 1,150 yards. Uh, and for good reason, I do think that uh, the new coaching staff uh, isn't necessarily tied to Delvin Cook. We are going to see more guys folded in, and I don't think we're going to see his usage come anywhere close to that. So I do think you know fading him at the top of your draft doesn't make a lot of sense if you're kind of looking at where his season-long projections fit into uh, the rest of the players that you could potentially draft in that position, and just being cognizant of the fact that you know he's he's got a changing situation around him with the with the new coach, and I don't think that his usage is necessarily going to hold from where it was at previously. So Taking these, all those considerations into account, using the season-long, uh, you know, player props as a projection source, and actually uh, figuring out what side of that equation you want to fall on with the particular players is is probably the best way I would say to prepare for fantasy drafts, from my perspective. We had a report from Cleveland.com about the Browns potentially being interested in Jimmy Garoppolo. 
So if Garoppolo were to end up on the Browns and Deshaun Watson's out for the year, what would you do with the Browns in that scenario? How good do you think they'd actually be? And would you be interested in betting overs or unders on their season totals or anything else? Yeah, I do think that, you know, there was um, the Browns on basically only playing from the to the under. I don't think there's any reason to be uh, bullish on any sort of scenario. Like you said, uh, you know, we got the initial six game suspension from Deshaun Watson. That's obviously being, uh, you know, arbitrated. Uh, we've gotten more reports now that they, you know, are offering eight games plus a pretty decent, um, you know, compensation, at least as far as a fine for him as well. It doesn't sound like uh, the league wants to come back with that. So I do think, you know, the expectation has to be that Deshaun Watson won't be playing football again this year. And is Jimmy Garoppolo uh, an upgrade over Jacoby Brissett? Yeah, probably. But is he necessarily any better than what they had with Baker Mayfield last year? Uh, I think that's a hard case to argue because I do think, you know, we saw the very best of Jimmy Garoppolo in what was kind of the perfect system for him uh, in that Kyle Shanahan-led offense. And, and, and Kevin Stefanski is a really great play caller, really great, you know, coordinator offensively can get his guys uh, in the right position and can maximize a lot of the capabilities of his quarterback. But I still don't think he's at the same level as Kyle Shanahan. So I do think that would be a step back for Jimmy Garoppolo. Uh, and I think it's really hard to project his performance that we saw in 2021 in the 2022 Brown system, uh, especially starting off right away when he's not hasn't had any of the training camp, hasn't gotten any preseason reps, hasn't been with the team whatsoever. So uh, I think it's asking a lot, and I do think that the only approach really is uh, you know fading the Browns or conversely buying into a team like the Ravens or Bengals. So I do think make a lot of sense uh, and still probably offer some value in winning that AFC North division. Ben Brown from Pro Football Focus joining us here on the press box. Um, Ben, as we as we look forward to this season, uh, one of the more interesting narratives is one that you already mentioned uh, with Trey Lance, where we went from last year where I felt like the narrative was, why haven't we seen Trey Lance? You have Kyle Shanahan, who pretty well knows what he has, and yet Jimmy Garoppolo is still starting. To now, we come into this season, and there's a lot of excitement. I'm mean, There are some folks out there who are pushing, uh, you know, Trey Lance for uh, MVP bets, et cetera, et cetera. Where do you fall on the expectations for Trey Lance? Yeah, definitely. I think it's, you know, obviously a much wider range of outcomes with the San Francisco 49ers offense in 2022 than what they had with Jimmy Garoppolo at quarterback in 2021. Like, you know, Jimmy was making one throw. He was making one throw consistently well. That was, you know, the crosser plant type play over the middle. That was the only real throw that he could make, right? Now a lot more options open up for the San Francisco 49ers. My personal perspective is uh, a lot of the upside that you mentioned is already being captured and talked about in the market, but there is a pretty significant downside to Trey Lance being the quarterback for the San Francisco 49ers that isn't really baked into the betting market, isn't really baked into anybody's expectation. I do think that that not necessarily tail outcome, but that sort of downside outcome uh, is the spot that I'm most projecting. So, uh, I'm on the under in a lot of their scenarios. I do think they're going to need uh, at least some, at least some get up and run time here in order for them to actually be, uh, you know, a top ten type efficient offense like we've seen from them year in and year out. So I do think that it's going to probably be a little bit more of a learning curve and a slower start. And I do think that, uh, you know, 
fading that a little bit uh, makes the most sense for me because I do think expectations have been just a little bit overblown for the 49ers offense. So they're going to need to be carried defensively from my perspective, and I do think that you know it opens up opportunities for other teams in that division. Now, you know the the, the reigning Super Bowl champion Los Angeles Rams are obviously going to be a pretty popular bet, but I do think there is probably a case for. Uh, the Arizona Cardinals, who, you know, no one really wants to talk about except for from a negative sentiment perspective. You know, this idea of Kyler Murray not not watching film, not doing this, not doing that, their second half phase and everything else. All that is pretty much overblown at this point. Not really all that predictive, I would say, of where they're going to end up in 2022. So I do think that if you want to try and capture some of the downside uh, risk associated with the San Francisco 49ers, uh, buy into the Arizona Cardinals. I do think they have the pieces in place, especially when DeAndre Hopkins gets back from the six-game suspension, to be uh, a top-five offense in the NFL. And I do think that that is probably the way that I have you know, mostly played the San Francisco 49ers in 2022. Well, he is Ben Brown from Pro Football Focus. Ben, as always, we appreciate it. Thanks, guys. Have a great show. So there is Ben Brown from Pro Football Focus. Coming up next, we're going to get into some NFL. But first... We got some tickets to give away. If you want to go see comedian Zane Lamprey here in Las Vegas tonight, you can win some tickets right now. 702-364-1100. We got a pair of tickets to go see Zane Lamprey tonight, a 7:30 show. 702-364-1100 is the phone number. If you want to go see comedian Zane Lamprey, be caller number five right now at 702-364-1100. Fourth down and goal. Blitz coming. Woodside throws. For the 21st straight time in preseason, the Hayes of the Barn. Taylor under center takes the snap, drops back, throws a slant over the middle, caught for a touchdown. Richie James right in the middle of the end zone off to our left, and he gives the Giants the lead. Casey Kreider snaps it. Dillon puts it down. Godot's field goal is up, and it is good. At the horn, and the Giants win the first preseason game for Brian Dable. You're listening to the Press Box Summer Edition. Adam Candy of Legal Sports Report in today for Ed Graney. The Giants are now an unstoppable machine. 1-0 in the preseason under Brian Dable. They cannot be stopped. But I want to talk about the Browns and Jimmy Grappolo because Mary Kay Cabot, who covers the Browns for Cleveland.com had a story yesterday about the Browns considering acquiring Jimmy Garoppolo. That is, uh, if Deshaun Watson's suspension is longer than six games, which appears to be inevitable at this point. I'm, I think everybody's assuming right now it's going to be at least that year and maybe the indefinite tag slapped on there as well. Um, if you were the Browns and Deshaun Watson gets his full year suspension, are you reaching out to acquire Jimmy Garoppolo? Are you interested in adding him to your roster? No, because if you don't have Deshaun Watson this year in Cleveland, you don't have a chance. I mean, bringing in Jimmy Garoppolo is not going to improve that. Jimmy Garoppolo has been a lot better than he generally gets credit for, but he's not in any way on the level of what Deshaun Watson can bring you. So, yeah, Jimmy Garoppolo last year, 17th by pro football focus grade right in the – in the middle of things, decent yards per attempt, uh, probably too many interceptions. But overall, why would you do that if you're the Cleveland Browns? Um, don't get me wrong. Uh, for just from a you know from a karma perspective, I want to see them try everything possible and fail miserably <laughs> at every step along the way because the Browns should be 
sentenced to even more misery than they've had in their sad lives for bringing in Deshaun Watson. But I don't think Jimmy Garoppolo gets them any closer to winning this year. Yeah, I would almost almost make the argument that don't bring in Jimmy Garoppolo if you don't have Deshaun Watson. You should lose as many games as you can, but they traded away the first-round picks. So there's no real benefit to the Browns being bad this year. Because, you, I mean, in most scenarios, if you have your first-round pick, your quarterback's out for a year, you'd, you'd probably rather lose more games than not because you can get a better draft pick. But they traded that draft pick away. So it doesn't really matter if they go, uh, if they're an eight-win team, a two-win team, or just whatever. If they're not in the playoffs, it's all going to be the same for the Cleveland Browns this year. So the curious part to me is that they traded away Baker Mayfield. And for the longest time, that was one of the main talking points of the offseason was, okay, what's going to happen to Baker Mayfield? What's going to happen to Jimmy Garoppolo? Two quarterbacks that uh, are expected to be traded, want to be traded. And for a long time, neither one was. Ultimately, the Browns uh, got a conditional pick back from the Panthers. It'll be a fourth or a fifth round pick. But they also had to pay $10.5 million. They're paying Baker Mayfield still $10 million this year. And it would be uh, quite funny to me if they then went and traded for Jimmy Garoppolo and gave up more than that conditional fourth or fifth round pick because you kind of had the same type of quarterback, the same tier level of quarterback in Baker Mayfield, but you made him so angry that he was never going to play for you again and then you had to give up assets to go get that same type of quarterback because, oh, the one you did bring in is suspended for the entire year. Oh, buddy, that is a two-way street uh, in terms of you making Baker Mayfield mad if you're the Cleveland Browns. I mean, there, it, all the reporting from Cleveland shows that there were plenty of people in the Browns organization and locker room who were done with Baker Mayfield as well. So as much as you and I love our numbers, this was not a trade that was made based on numbers. This was a trade... That was entirely made based on we got to get this guy out of here at this point. So Baker Mayfield coming back in, you know, uh, when you talk about him, he's a guy who has a higher floor. I should say a higher ceiling and lower floor than Jimmy Garoppolo. Frankly, I would rather have thrown Baker Mayfield out there this year if I were Cleveland than throw Jimmy Garoppolo out there. Jimmy Garoppolo is going to do exactly what you just said, Tyler. He's going to lead them to a seven or eight win season that's just sort of eh. <laughs> I thought Ben Brown's point was good that if they brought in Jimmy Garoppolo now or a week from now, that he would be getting a, a, a massively late start. And maybe it's a little unfair to Jimmy Garoppolo, but I think it's completely fair to say that the system he was playing in is a big reason why the 49ers had success despite his play and just throwing him into Cleveland, who, even though it might be some similarities, right, that rely on the run game, should be good defensively. I still think there's going to be a level of, oh, Jimmy Garoppolo is not quite going to be any sort of difference maker for that team. They might be the exact same team with Teddy Bridgewater starting quarterback, which, by the way, why bring in Teddy Bridgewater in the first place if you're not going to just let that guy start? Because he's probably not as good as Garoppolo in Mayfield, but there's not that big of a drop down to Teddy Bridgewater. Mm, I don't know if I would go that far. You think far. there is? I, oh. Yeah, I think, I think – I mean, the numbers don't necessarily say it, but I, I think from – from the high end of those two guys, there there's a drop off, right? Teddy uh, Teddy Bridgewater is sort of Jimmy Garoppolo light, where the floor is what it is, the ceiling is what it is. It's probably just a little lower, all in all. Do you think is the NFL going to let Deshaun Watson play this weekend? Like, is you don't, I don't think, think they have any come, choice? I mean, they, they'd have to come out today with a ruling on his suspension. I'm I'm assuming we're seeing Deshaun Watson play a football game tonight. Yeah, uh, yeah. I mean, someone is. I'm not. 
<laughs> it's a good point. I probably won't actually watch it either because I don't want to watch the preseason. But hey, the Raiders play a preseason game on Sunday. We'll watch that one. Be back here on Monday to break it down. Um, so, yeah, Deshaun Watson is probably playing a football game tonight, even though the NFL would prefer that not happen. But they have not exactly made this a speedy process to figure out exactly how long Deshaun Watson will be suspended for this season. 